invite you to take your Bible this morning and make your way to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 6 is where we're going to find our text for today. And uh, we've been preaching through this book expositionally, and expositionally means we come through a book verse by verse, uh, studying it and preaching it in its context of what God is saying uh, through this letter and through this passage of Scripture. And it just so happened that today's text is a quite fitting one for Mother's Day. It wasn't intentional, but uh, it will certainly relate to that um, to some degree. But uh, we're going to be looking at this morning a Christ-centered family, a Christ-centered family. And we'll find that right here in our text of Ephesians 6, chapter in verse 1 down through verse number 4. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We've been looking the last couple of weeks at the importance of the family, really the marriage relationship of the husband and the wife, the role that God has given them in the home, and now Paul is diving into another aspect of the home and the family life. And when we think about a family, what is it that makes a family strong and stable? What is it that makes a family what a family is intended to be? From God's viewpoint? The answer to that question is one person. That person is Christ Jesus the Lord. We've seen plainly through the book of Ephesians, and we know more broadly through the whole of Scripture that Christ is the centerpiece to all of life, to all of history, and to all of eternity. It is all about Christ, and it is all for Christ. Now, many tend to think that Christianity is just one religion among many other religions and that Christ really, He just stays at the church house and that's kind of where He resides and He doesn't go anywhere else. This couldn't be further from the truth, church. Christianity is not one religion among many religions. It is the only true religion because there is only one true God. There cannot be one God in many faiths. They all contradict each other. Only one can be correct and accurate. And the one true God has revealed Himself. He has manifested Himself in the person of Jesus Christ, by which we know Him through His Word plainly before us. And what we find is that Christ's glory and presence is not just manifested in the church house as we gather to worship Him every day. His glory and presence is to be manifested in all areas of life especially that of the family unit. As we see from our text, Christ must be at the center of the family. Now, Paul has taken his listeners and readers into the realm of the home. He's given clear order in the home that God has ordained because God has ordained the family. The family is a unit that God himself set in place. Man didn't come up with it. Man did not establish it. It is God who established it all the way in the very beginning of creation. 
And we see through Scripture that he has established the role of the wife in this previous text. She's to lovingly submit to her husband, recognizing his headship in the home and leadership. The role of the husband as he is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and to care for his wife and children and family, to love them and protect them and to lead them. You see, the home and family begin with the marriage union of the husband and wife, but many families go beyond that to include some other members of the family. And those other members of the family are those wonderful, precious gifts we call children. Children come into a family through marriage and through that union. You know, when Bethany and I were first married and we had a few years before we had kids, we sometimes would think, what would life be like with kids? You know, back then we used to go on a date about two or three times a week and could do whatever we want and go wherever we wanted. And uh, we couldn't imagine life. What would that be like with kids? Now we have kids. We think back, what was life like before kids? <laughs> we, we, couldn't, we can't imagine life without them, right? Uh, even, with, even with some of the uh, things you have to deal with kids and you know, things they bring to the family, the blessing far outweighs all the dirty diapers and spilled milk and all that sort of thing. We know how that goes. Ultimately, a family is woven together by God's providence. The family unit with children now adds two more roles to the home. The role of the children and also the role of the parents, the mother and the father. And just like the husband and wife have a Christ-centered role, so also do the children and the parents. And the role of the children and the parents, understand it is vital, absolutely vital to the strength and stability of the family unit in the home. In fact, as we look at the family today overall, it is reaping a whirlwind of disintegration due to the rejection of the biblical order for the home in the family unit, both in the role of the husband, the role of the wife, the role of the parents, and the role of the children. You see, the biblical instruction here given to us, written in the first century, it is the foundational truth in every century, in every generation. And so, Christian, you must desire and devote yourself to cultivating a biblical family, a family that is Christ-centered, the family that God has designed it to be. So I want to point out two overall headings today, very simple from our text, very plain if you're following along in our notes. Number one, I'll have you note and see this. The first thing that Paul points out is the duty of children to their parents. The duty of children to their parents. And what is their duty? It is twofold in this short little passage. Children must, I bet you can't guess what that blank is, obey their parents. Children must obey their parents. You understand that this is what they're called to do. He says in verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So there is a specific audience in view here, isn't there? The audience is... The children. Who are children? They are the offspring of a man and woman. They are brought into this world by the covenant union of marriage of their parents. And understand, children, they are a precious gift from God. They must not be uh, taken for granted of. The Bible tells us in Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, the fruit of the womb, a reward. They are such a blessing and joy. They are part of the family in the home. 
But I want you to notice in this text also that they are present among the church as they attend with their family. When they are saved and baptized, then they also become members of the church. And here's what point sticks out to me, is that Paul is writing this letter in expectation that children are among the congregation and hearing this letter read to the congregation. Children belong with parents in church. Children belong with their parents in the church. They are need in need to be present in the church. They were present in the church in Ephesus. They need to be uh, affected by the worship of God. They too need the hearing of the scriptures preached and hearing the saints sing praises and beholding their parents engaging in the worship of Almighty God. Now while there is certainly a place and time for things such as nursery care for our very, very little ones. A child at a certain point needs to be among God's people in worship. And the parents need to set the example for that. You remember the invitation that Jesus gives concerning children. Luke chapter number 18 and verse 16, Jesus says, Let the little children come. Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such, to such belongs the kingdom of God. What a great instruction we find there. But notice as we come into our text a little further, you'll notice that beginning in the home, the children have a role to play in the family unit. Paul says to the children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, if you're a child here today, I'm not talking about just baby children under 10. If you're a teenager, if you still live with mom and dad, if you're here, understand, if you're a child, you are called to obey your parents. Obey your parents. Obedience is a foundational principle to Christianity. Every Christian is called to do what? To obey God. Why do we obey God? Because God is our authority. God is perfect. God is always right. What God instructs is always perfect and right for us in our life. And so the picture of the home is reflective of God's authority over us. And we see this picture in the duty of children and the role of parents as well. So what is the nature of this obedience from children? Let's break down the text for us. Look at it together. What is obedience? Obedience is to do what your parents tell you to do, what they instruct you to do. The word obey simply means that, to follow instructions. Now, just as we have instruction from the Lord to follow in His Word, we follow it, we obey it, right? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and don't do the things that I say? Because if He is our Lord, then we obey, we follow His instructions. And a general principle is true for the children as well. Proverbs 6.20 says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now, we have young kids right now. Our oldest is seven and our youngest is one, about to be one and a half. And they know what it means to obey and disobey. If I tell them to clean their room, what is their duty in the home? Their duty is to go clean their room. That's like almost fighting words sometimes, right? I don't want to do that. I want to do this. I want to get more toys out that I haven't put up the others yet. If I tell them not to punch each other, their duty is what? Don't punch each other. Their call is to obey their parents because their parents are the authority in the home. Now, obedience must be the regular part of the children. Just as with any other instruction or command in this world, understand a parent's command uh, must be for the good of their children. 
I think it's important to note, too, that the parents' commands should not violate what God says in His Word. If parents instruct their children to do things that are contrary to the Word of God, they invoke them to sin. That's a violation. See, the instruction of parents must be biblical and have good reason for it. Not just as a dictator, and you're going to do this just because I just going to tell you to do this with no reason, rhyme, or for it. I recently had to get on to David for his own disobedience. Why? Because he kept picking up Spurgeon and carrying him through the house. Now, if you look at David's size and Spurgeon's size, you're going to realize Spurgeon's about the half, a little over half the size of David, which means that David can't really carry him that well. What's the danger of David carrying Spurgeon, specifically in a fast way, through the house? You might drop him and hurt him, right? So I tell him, David, don't carry Spurgeon. Catch him carrying Spurgeon. <laughs> David, don't carry Spurgeon. Catch him carrying Spurgeon. Now comes discipline time. You're going to come see Daddy for a little come to Jesus meeting. We all know what a come to Jesus meeting is, right? I've told you not to do this. But not only do I get on to him, I also explain why I'm getting on to him for this. David, why is it do you think that I don't want you to carry Spurgeon? Uh, because, because I might drop him. Well, what would happen if you drop him on the hard surface? Uh, he might get hurt. Do you want your brother to get hurt? Uh, no. Little by little, he begins to realize the reason for my command. It should be reasonable. Sometimes it needs to be given uh, given explanation. Then there's other times it may just be something simple they need to do because it's right and it's necessary in the home. So you understand that obedience is following the instruction of your parents. But secondly, in regard to this, obedience, the obedience of children, understand, it is to an authority over them. We have to understand this aspect. Who is the authority over the children? Paul writes, it's their parents. The authority over the children in the home is the parents, the mother and the father. This authority, understand, it has been entrusted to the parents in the home by God to lead them and to protect them and to develop their children. Parents, your authority over children in the home to raise them, that is a gift and privilege from God. And it ought not to be abused and misused. It ought to be used rightly according to the word of God. Parents are over the children, not children over the parents. Now, I must emphasize this because it is a sad and detrimental truth that too many parents today are ruled over by their children. It devastates me, even in Christian homes where children run things. They decide where we're going to go to church. They decide where we're going to eat. They decide what we're going to do. They decide this. They decide that. You understand that the child who governs the home will not learn what it means to be under proper authority. The child governs the home because the parent has not established that they are the authority. You understand that if you leave a child to himself to live as he wants and decide who's in charge you are only damaging them for their future years. Proverbs 29.15 says this, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. In essence, I've seen it many times when parents bow to their children because they're throwing fits and screaming and making demands. 
Well, I'll just do this to get them to stop. Friend, when you do that, you're only enabling them to be a rebel. You're only enabling them to be a rebel. This must be corrected. You see, by giving in to such actions in a child, you enable them to think that they can do whatever they want while at the same time diminish any authority and leadership you have in the household. And children naturally take advantage of that. They get away with one thing. Oh, mom and dad didn't care about that. Let's see what, how much further I can go pushing the limits. Anybody had children push the limits? I see fingers pointing in to some of the siblings in here. I'm pointing my finger at my, my, my sister in Kentucky. She'll hear this later. You say, oh, they're just too cute to establish your authority and discipline them. They may be cute, but understand, they are predisposed in their sinful nature to be a rebel. Be a rebel, uh, e- e- even from their very young age. As Vody Bauckham rightly said, even those cute babies, they're a viper in a diaper. And I'll testify to that truth. I've got a little viper in a diaper. He's cute as can be. Man, he knows how to do some things. Why do they act that way? Because it's in their nature, friend. All of us have that nature. We are born with a sinful nature. Psalm 51, 5, David said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It's interwoven into who you are. So sin is in our children, and they must be taught authority in the home and what it means to obey their parents. Even Spurgeon, at this age of one year old, he's got to where if you try to stop him from doing something he wants to do that's dangerous or he shouldn't do, There's this no that comes out. No. Now, it's really cute right now, but it ain't going to be cute a month from now. Just because it's cute because they're little doesn't mean we don't give them a loving correction fit for that particular age. Because if you don't teach them young, they will grow and develop that. Because here's the reality, parents. You don't have to teach a child how to disobey. They learn that all on their own, but you do have to teach them how to obey. So the child must be taught by both the mom and the dad that they are the authority over them. And understand this, both the mom and the dad are the authority over them. They should not be taught that only dad's the authority over over them or only mom's the authority over them. They both are parents. Many kids disrespect their moms because they didn't have authority. Uh, They did not know their authority was over them. Same thing with the fathers. There must be this teaching in the home. They must be taught this. Now, while young children must be taught to obey, children get to an age when they understand what it is to obey, and especially when children come to know Christ, they're made aware of that duty very plainly in their childhood, especially on to their teenage years. This is God's command to you, children, talking to you, talking to you. Obey your parents. Obey your parents. Notice this. He says, obey them in the Lord. Obeying your parents is chiefly done, understand, in the Lord. Obedience to our parents is an act of obeying the Lord because God has commanded us to do that. There is a spiritual motive and action involved in this. The Lord has given you parents for this very purpose. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, parallel passage. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Now, by the term children, I don't want you to mistake me. I'm not talking about 
that there's a limitation, like those that are 10 years old and under, they obey. But once you get to 11, 12, and on your teenage years, that, oh, I can just do what I want, wrong. Teenagers need it probably more so when they get to that age. Do not think that because you're in your teenage years and you know more than mom and dad that somehow obedience to them becomes null and void. You are still called to obey your parents. You need so more so even that day and time when you're, there, there's so many dangers and deceptions uh, assaulting you. You see, the greatest example who ever lived for us is who? It is Jesus. Did you know that at one point Jesus was a child? Jesus went through teenage years, albeit with a perfect, sinless nature. But there's a great example here where his parents instructed him at one point. And if you look at Luke 2.51 in your notes, this is when they came back and found him in the temple. They were worried about him. They couldn't find him. And then he goes with them back to Nazareth. But notice this. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was what? Submissive to them. Submissive to them. You see, though Jesus is God in the flesh, and he has more wisdom and knowledge than both of his parents combined, what does he do here? He submits himself to obeying his parents. Jesus did that. Why? Because he knew the God-ordained order in the home and God's law of obeying parents. Now, I'll mention this too. Even if a parent is mistaken about something, unrelated to Scripture, it's not immoral or anything, and the child is correct in a matter, guess what? The child still needs to obey. The child still needs to obey. Why? Because they're the authority. Now, understand, sometimes parents are going to make a mistake. And if they do make a mistake, you need to recognize that to your kids. Don't go on in your pride thinking you're right about everything. If you make a mistake, admit that to your kids. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have told you to do that. I was wrong in that matter. That teaches them what it means to be human and sinful. Children need to see that in their parents. Obeying your parents in the Lord carries a very great spiritual motive and purpose behind it. Charles Hodge rightly comments here and says, it should be religious, arising out of the conviction that such obedience is the will of the Lord. This makes it a higher service than if rendered from fear or from mere natural affection. Ultimately, as a Christian, everything we do ought to be unto the Lord. And how children relate to their parents reflects their reverence for the Lord himself. Lastly, you'll notice that this obedience is right, and I think this is good. Notice that he says, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? This is right. This is right. This is, there, there is a fundamental reality of right and wrong in this world. Who determines what is right? By what standard is right and wrong established? That flows from the only source who is perfect and can give such a standard, and that is God. That's God alone. His Word lays it out for us, friend. It is established by the one and only God whose character and nature is holy and right in all things. And so Paul says, obey your parents for this is right. So children, do you want to do what is right? If the answer is yes, obey your parents. Obey them. That brings me to the second responsibility for the children, is that children must honor their parents. Now, these two are intertwined. You can't disconnect them. 
Honor and obedience are intertwined together. The evidence that obedience of parent to parents is right and the fruit of obedience flows from this command. In verse 2, he says here, Honor your father and mother. How many of us have heard that before? Sounds familiar? This is a special day to honor your mothers. I'm thankful we have Mother's Days and Father's Days. I particularly like Father's Day. I'm kidding. I like Mother's Day more, I think. But honoring your mother is not limited to one day a year. Honoring your father is not limited to one day a year. It's a lifelong endeavor. You know, this takes us back to the Old Testament, specifically the Ten Commandments. This is the fifth commandment of the ten that God gave. It's the first one that deals with relation to uh, other people horizontally. Exodus 20 and verse 12, Paul is quoting. He says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land, and the Lord your God is gi- that the Lord your God is giving you. How important is that command for the children? This is not the only text we see this quoted. It's quoted at least five more times in the, Old, in the New Testament. But what's it mean to honor your parents? The word honor simply means to show high regard for. You hold them in high reverence and esteem. We all honor certain things and certain people. But the children, the top of your list of who you honor in this world must be your mom and dad. Charles Hodge again comments here. He says, to honor is to reverence, and therefore the command has reference to the inward feeling as well as to the outward conduct. You need to reverence them internally in your heart, but also reverently out them, reverence them outwardly in your actions. You see, you reverence them as the ones who brought you into this world and the ones whom God has placed over you in the home and in the family. But notice why we should honor our parents in this text. Parents, firstly, they're worthy of our honor and reverence. They should be honored because of their authority. But notice in this text that God has promised blessing to those who honor their parents. Notice what Paul says with this commandment in verse 2. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise. Now, why does he say that? If you go to Exodus 20 and you read the Ten Commandments, you'll find that this first commandment, this is the first commandment with a specific promise attached to it or rather principle. Others may have a warning attached, but there's a promise of blessing in honoring your father and your mother. What is that promise? In verse 3, he says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land or on the earth. Now, in context of ancient Israel, this directly applied to their time when they were going to be entering the promised land and be in the promised land that God had given to them. God promised to bless them and protect them as they kept and lived by his covenant. But you'll notice there's a severity here to this particular command in ancient Israel. Leviticus 20 and verse 9 says, Anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. You understand that there is a death penalty for this dishonoring of parents in the Old Testament. You say, man, that just sounds so strict and severe. It is. Why, why, why were there death penalty attached to so many laws in the Old Testament? It's the law itself served as a means of showing man the severity of sin. What is the wages or penalty of sin? Death. You understand, this is the reason for the gospel itself. This is the reason Christ came to the world to die. 
Why? He came to die as a substitute for sinners to save them from the penalty of death. Death eternally. Now, we're not under that old covenant. So these laws that we're reading about the death penalty and all that, that's, that's back then. We're, ancient Israel is no longer God's commonwealth. The true Israel of God is all those in Christ throughout the whole world who are saved by grace alone. So, so God's people today understand we're not bound to a specific place or location. And that's why Paul applies this promised blessing generally as a principle for God's people wherever they may be. Now, understand... This does not mean that obedience and honor guarantee a long, happy life for a child. Sometimes in providence, children die young. Even those who are good kids and obeyed and love the Lord, God has his own purposes for that, and we trust him with those things. But Paul is making a general point that God's promised blessings do not rest on disobedient and dishonorable children. The opposite is true. If a child decides to dishonor their parents... They only invite sorrow and shame into their life. Proverbs 20.20, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Now you may say, well, how long am I supposed to honor my parents? You understand that being children is not limited to any age range. Even when you turn 18 and you move out of the house, guess what? You are still commanded to honor your father. No matter how old a person gets, they always have a mother and a father until they pass from this life. And honoring your parents does not end at a certain age. Honoring your parents is a lifelong duty for children. Paul even alludes to this truth in the New Testament as he teaches about children caring for their parents when they are in old age. He says to them in 1 Timothy 5, 3-4, Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. You know, our parents raised us and went through so much to bring us up into this world, so much pain and heartache and sorrow. The return ought to be that their children take care of them when they're older and they can't do much for themselves. That's honoring your parents, even in old age. But I want you to understand this, church. The lack of honor for parents has truly been detrimental to our society and culture as a whole. A child that is not taught to honor their father and mother will likely not honor others either. And we look at our culture and world and those that have no respect for any kind of authority, whether, whether it be the law or, 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 or civil government or whatever, they have no idea of respect and submission to authority. That flows because they did not have it in their own household. This is how important the home is to society as a whole. The home has been delinquished. The parents have not taught the honor that children ought to have for them, the obedience that they ought to have, and develop them for culture and life beyond the home. Young people, if you profess to truly know Christ, understand this today. You show it best in fulfilling this duty to your parents. Obeying your parents and honoring them for who they are as your parents. But let us come to number two. The duty of parents to their children. The duty of parents to their children. And this is where I get to be under conviction. 
Now, I am still a child, and I honor my mother, and I'm far away. She's in Kentucky. Called her this morning and wished her happy Mother's Day, thankful for her, all that she's done for my life. But a lot of this that I look at here today hits home with me in the raising of my own children. I want you to see, firstly, two things here. Parents must train their children compassionately. <clears throat> Parents must train their children compassionately. You see, Paul moves into the duty of parents here, <clears throat> and truly, a parent's duty toward their children will be a major determining factor in their children's duty towards them, because children have to be taught what their duty is, what their role is. It matters greatly how the parents treat their children in their raising them. And you'll notice in verse 4, the first part of this verse, Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, why does Paul address the fathers here? Well, let me point out a couple things. The word fathers here, just it, it refers to the immediate biological ancestor. It, it is translated as parent or parents in other texts. Hebrews 11, 23, one of them. It ref, specifically refers to a male and female together as parents. So it can... It, Understand that both parents are in view, but there is an emphasis on the father. There is an emphasis on the father, and that is significant. Why? Because the father, as the husband who is the head of the home, fathers have the chief responsibility of shepherding their wives and their children. The weight of accountability for the home before God falls on you, fathers. Falls on you. They say, well, I may be in a home that I don't have a father. It's just a mother. Mother's in charge. She's leading your home. Follow her. But ultimately, understand, the husband is the one who leads the family and the home. The mother, understand, this is not delinquish the mothers in any way. The mother is often the one who is most active in the home front. But understand that the father is to lead the way in training and leading the children in the home. So fathers, understand this. If you're too busy to do this, you're too busy. Our world and culture has us that we've got to go here, go there, do thousands of things, all for the almighty dollar, all at the expense of our families. No, friend. You may need to sacrifice a little bit to be the father you're supposed to be. Fathers are called to fulfill this role. The lack of the father in the home fulfilling this role has been detrimental to the home and society. Ian Hamilton rightly said this, the greatest good a father can do for his children is to make time for the welfare of their souls. How important this is, friend. Make time to be proactive in leading the way in your home. But notice this first aspect of this command. He says to them, do not provoke your children to anger. Well, what's he mean by this? I mean, it don't take much for my kids to get upset, right? He's not talking about just a general upsetness over a broke toy or having to go clean their room. He's talking about the father being domineering over his children in an unloving manner. Now, this would be completely opposite to the Roman culture of that day. And I, I was almost stunned to hear some of the things, I, or learn some of the things I read about. In the Roman Empire, the father had absolute power over the household like a tyrant. And here's how bad it is. Concerning his children in the Roman Empire, he could cast any of them out of the house, sell them as slaves, or even kill them, and be accountable to no one. 
A newborn child was placed at its father's feet to determine its fate. If the father picked it up, the child was allowed to stay in the home. If the father walked away, it was simply disposed of, much as aborted babies are in our own day. Discarded infants who were healthy and vigorous were collected and taken each night to be to the town forum where they would be picked up and raised to be slaves or prostitutes. That's how depraved the culture was in that day and time. And don't think we're any better. We slay millions of babies every day. Our own culture is depraved in this manner. It's a tragic practice. But here's the, here's the contrast. The Christian home for these Ephesians in a pagan Roman society was to be starkly different. So greatly different, contrasted to the darkness around them. The Christian father and mother were to love their children and to treat them with compassion so as to cultivate them properly in their raising. The parallel passage in Colossians 3.21, he says this, Paul says it this way, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged. You understand that even in our own nation, there are many children who are treated so poorly, they loathe their childhood and long to exit and get away from their parents because their parents have not treated them with any kind of compassion and love. I worked in a bus ministry in Danville. We'd go pick up kids in the ghetto. It broke my heart to see how so many of these kids just longed for just a little bit of love. They had none at home. Some of them not even eating a meal in a day. And that's right in our backyard. The Christian home is not to function this way. Now, how might a father or mother bring anger or discouragement to their children? Well, let me mention a few ways. One, I already mentioned, it's exercising a domineering spirit over them. Well, what is that? It's asserting one's will over another in an arrogant and haughty matter, a matter that's not needed. You act like a tyrant. If you do that in your home, you're going to discourage your children greatly, and damage them in your upbringing. Sinclair Ferguson rightly said, a domineering spirit is not a divine instrument. You're not, you're not doing anything by having a domineering spirit. You're not proving yourself to be better or uplifting yourself. You're showing yourself to be a fool if you live that way. Secondly, imposing thoughtless or useless convictions on them. Some parents force absurd ideas and rules on their children just because they can They just want to abuse their authority. Being indifferent and neglectful towards your children will cause them to be angry and discouraged. If you do not give them attention and really know them, they will be discouraged. Parents, you ought to be intentional in spending time with your children, listening to them, talking with them, getting to know them. Put down the phone, turn off the TV, and just be with your children, with your family. Be with them. Fourthly, showing favoritism to other children over some children over others will stir them to anger and discouragement. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Anybody recall a man named Joseph, son of Jacob? Joseph was the favorite among many brothers, and what did that stir? Genesis 37, 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Christian parents, do not show favoritism to your children. Love them all equally. Another way you provoke them is by forgetting that they are indeed children. You expect them to act like adults. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that. 
Kids, why'd you do that? Because I'm a kid. Sometimes I expect them to be better than they are when I have to realize they're just little. You've got to have patience with them. Now, there could be more ways that we may discourage children, but the bottom line is that parents, especially fathers as the head of the home, must not provoke their children to anger. Now, instead, in contrast, Paul says here, in contrast to provoking them, notice that he says, but bring them up. Now, I stop there because this particular word is important. The same Greek word, bring them up, is also used in verse 29 as translated as nourishes in relation to the husband to nourish his wife as his own body. You know what this shows us is that children are to be brought up in a loving and compassionate manner. John Calvin rightly comments on this. He says he translates it this way, let them be fondly cherished. He says the Greek word here, translated as bring up, unquestionably conveys the idea of gentleness and forbearance. I can't emphasize this enough. Children need this. They need tender, loving compassion from their parents in the home. And this kind of treatment will, in turn, affect their honor and obedience to their parents. Calvin again comments here. Kind and liberal treatment has rather a tendency to cherish reverence for their parents and to increase the cheerfulness and activity of their obedience. While a harsh and unkind manner rouses them to obstinacy and destroys the natural affections. I have seen this too, that when some parents are overly legalistic and harsh in their rules, they often drive their kids away because they were unnecessary convictions. We must be on guard to balance our life rightly. But notice with me letter B. Parents not only must train their children with compassion, they must teach their children correctly. Teach their children correctly. See, the first aspect of this command of parents is that don't do this, and now we have a do this instead. And in verse 4, he says to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I wish I had more time to stress this, but I don't. But let me, let me bring you through this. In what way must they be nourished and reared up? Paul says, firstly, in the discipline of the Lord. Discipline here, the word, is the act of providing guidance for responsible living. Isn't that the end goal of parenting? Because so, they're going to exit your home and you want them to live responsibly for the glory of God in society. They're not going to stay in your house forever. This is the duty of parents, to train up their children, preparing them for responsible living, particularly godly living in a godless world. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I have you note that that is a proverb, which means it's not an absolute promise, but it is a general principle. A parent may do their best to raise their children godly, and that, children may, that child may still go off, go off into godless living. Because you can't really control their will, can you? Parents are instruments of the Lord. Ultimately, the flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit who must give life and transform the heart. And that should be the chief prayer for every parent, is that their hearts of their children would be transformed by the grace of God. So this discipline, understand, it is training or correction, and it is training that involves correction and sometimes some very hard lessons. You ever heard of tough love? 
children need a little bit of that, especially when they get in their teenage years. They need a little tough love. You know, this word discipline is the same word used in Hebrews of the Lord's discipline towards his children. Hebrews 12, 11 says, the moment all, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The point of discipline, understand, is that it is a tool to train and teach children in the ways of righteousness and of godliness. And the practice of discipline in the home, understand, it's a reflection of the bigger people picture of God working in his people. God, understand, discipline is so vital to the child's development, and yet it is so quickly dismissed, even in the Christian home. Many think that disciplining their child is unloving, baloney. Disciplining your child is the most loving thing you can do. You say, well, I don't agree with that. Take it up with God. Don't take it up with me. Take it up with God. Read Proverbs chapter 13, 34. Listen to this. Whoever spares the rod, discipline, hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. You you see this? Love for your child means that you want to discipline them so they know right and wrong and do what is right. I have made it always my emphasis. Anytime I have to discipline my kids, I don't do this because I enjoy it. I do this because I love you and I want you to do what's right. I want you to know what's right. My parents did that to me growing up. I hated getting spankings. There's a point when mom couldn't whip me and it hurt anymore. And I had the audacity. If she gave me a spanking, I said, that didn't hurt. You know what that means, right? All right, your dad's coming home. Little word of advice, kids. Don't say that to your mama. Act like it hurts and cry and go to your room. Pretend if you have to. But my parents, every time they disciplined me, they said, I'm doing this because I love you. Now, as a kid, you don't really understand that. But when you get older, you realize they really did love you. And discipline makes such a world of difference. Every parent needs to have this heart in discipline for their children. Calvin again comments here, It is not the will of God that parents in the exercise of kindness shall spare and corrupt their children. Let their conduct towards their children be at once mild and considerate, so as to guide them in the fear of the Lord and correct them also when they go astray. You can't be in balance one way or the other. You can't, well, I just love them too much to discipline them. No, if you don't love, true love disciplines them. True love disciplines them. We want our children to be disciplined and trained so that they will come to know the Lord, so they'll know what is right. Parents must understand this. You also need to understand that your your children are going to fail a lot in obedience to you. They're going to. That's who they are. And that's going to require discipline as you evaluate those situations. But above all, that is opportunity to teach them why we struggle with disobedience, including us as parents. Discipline is a gospel teaching moment to show us our fallen nature and that Christ died to save us from our sins of disobedience. We need this. But secondly, let me close with this. Paul says to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Not only the discipline of the Lord, but the instruction of the Lord. The word instruction here flows in connection with discipline, but it conveys the idea of to put in mind. Put in the mind is what it really refers to. It revolves around counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct. Now, here's the thing. 
Where does one get counsel about what is right and wrong? How does someone know what is true and needed for the child to believe and practice and how to live their life? How will they know this? The answer, church, is from the Scriptures of God. Scripture is sufficient for the family in all areas of life. And when it comes to teaching the children, understand this. Children are learning from their parents in two ways. The first way, they receive direct learning, direct teaching from their parents' instruction. And this is, parents, what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to give time to instructing and teaching your children the word of the living God. Let me take you backwards to one text. I haven't turned anywhere. I've been merciful to your fingers turning through the scriptures today. Deuteronomy 6, and let me, let me read this passage to you. Verse 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. To who? Your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. As you read this text, what do you notice about it? Scripture was to saturate the home of the believer. Scripture was not just a Sunday thing where we just entrust our children to the church. Now, don't mistake me. The church has a wonderful role in our children. But understand, the greatest weight of influence and teaching must come from the parents in the home. And parents, if you neglect this, you will regret it later. I've seen so many parents raise their children and their children go off to be heathens. Like, I don't know what happened. I took them to church. The church isn't the solution. Christ is the solution in the home. You must keep Christ in your home, friend. Bring them to church. That's part of it. Number, obviously, I'm not downgrading that. But what I'm saying is this. There's a great neglect for Scripture in the home in this era. It didn't used to be that way years and years ago. There's a rising, a generation who does not know God. And they do not know God because of the lack of instruction of the Lord in the home. The psalmist in Psalm 71, 17 through 18, he said this in his last, era, last days of his life. He said, Oh God, from my youth you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to who? Another generation, your power to all those who come. His longing desire was that the children and generation coming after him would know the one true God, that they would know him, friend. This is what is greatly needed for us in the home. It may be that either the father or the mother wants nothing to do with the Lord. Whichever one knows the Lord, you need to be teaching your children about the Lord. doesn't matter who it is. If we think about the faithfulness of our mothers, I'm so thankful that my mom took time to teach us the Word of God. 
Dad was often busy in a corporate job, but Mom was at home teaching. We see this example with Timothy, who appears to have had an unbelieving father. But thank God for his godly mother and grandmother. It says in 2 Timothy 1.5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. How did Timothy come to know that faith? from his mother and grandmother teaching it to him in the scriptures. Paul wrote to him in 2 Timothy 3.15, saying how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. You see, the family must re-engage in this daily practice, daily practice, daily practice of teaching their children the word of God in any way they can. But this direct teaching, understand, is not only done by way to the children of their parents in that direct sense, but here's, I want you to take this home with you. We're almost done. I know you're hungry. It's Mother's Day. You ready to take them out to eat and spoil them? I hope you do that. Children receive indirect teaching by the parents' example in how they're living their life. You understand that every day children watch their parents. They see who you really are. Now you can come here to the church house and make, us, make yourself look like a good Christian, but you go home and your, your, your children see who you really are. They see whether you're genuine or you're just mechanical. They see your attitudes and reactions. They see what you indulge in. They see whether you read scripture and pray and love Jesus. What example do you set, parents, for your children at home? Are you displaying real Christianity to them? May we do so. As we close, understand that children are the Lord's before they're ours. We have a holy responsibility to raise them unto the Lord and for the Lord. Children under the care of the parents are a lot like wet cement. You've only got a real short time to mold them and develop them before they stick, to cultivate them. We could certainly dive deeper into this, but I hope that you get the picture from what we've looked at. Our culture around us teaches us a way, a faulty way, a destructive way of how the home should function teaches us that, well, it really doesn't matter how the husband and wife relate to each other. It really doesn't matter how they raise their children. It doesn't matter what, if they're in church or not. No, that really matters. It does matter. It matters vitally. We need Christ-centered families. And so the call to us is that we're doing our part. Are you children, whatever your age may be, are you obeying and honoring your father and mother? You parents... Are you training and teaching and disciplining your children in the Lord? May we fulfill what God has called us to do with this today. Let's stand our feet as we close with a song. Father, we bow before you this morning and thank you for this text of Scripture. I know that these texts of Scripture on the home really dive deep and cut to the core of us. and Father, that is exactly what we need. Father, we want our homes to be Christ-centered. We want them to be biblical. We want them to be pleasing to you. Father, we are such frail creatures. We fail so often. 
we fail in our obedience, we fail in our parenting, we fail in, in, in our, our spousal relationships. We have many areas in which we struggle. But Lord, you're a God of grace, and your grace is what enables us to grow and develop, to be what we ought to be in Christ. It's my prayer that you take this word and settle it in the hearts of your people. Lord, if there's any here today that is lost and undone or careless and have no, really no, no thought or drive towards Christ at all, I pray you awaken them to their dead and sinful state. They're in desperate need of Christ and don't even realize it. Father, I pray that you would work by your grace as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.